Hello, and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Dan Deans. Dan is currently the Vice President for Corporate Development at Millennium Engineering and Integration, where he's responsible for business development, corporate marketing, and strategic planning. Dan got his BS degree in aerospace engineering from the University of Texas in Austin and started his career with Ford Aerospace, working at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. From there, he went to LAM Research, where he assisted in the design of semiconductor manufacturing equipment. Dan returned to NASA as a program manager in the late 1990s and later joined Dow Chemical as their global reliability leader, where he led an international team of engineers and managers and, in his spare time, became certified as a Six Sigma black belt. He's been with Millennium Engineering and Integration for the last six years, where he's helped them more than double their revenue in engineering services, systems engineering, product development, and reliability testing. Dan, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tim. Really appreciate it. I'm honored and, and blessed to be here and looking forward to uh, chatting with you today. Dan, some of your listeners may know that you're the chair of the upcoming 62nd Rams Conference. This is an extremely popular conference within the quality and reliability community, and, and folks in our community circle the dates on their calendar every year. Nevertheless, you've said that the people who often who are often missing from this conference are the ones in higher level leadership positions. Why do you think their absence is important? And is there anything that can be done to make these events more attractive? Yeah, Tim, I think the, you know, the, the wonderful thing about the Reliability and Maintainability Symposium is it provides a, a real opportunity for engineers, technicians, managers, uh, executives, all types of uh, you know, folks to come in and, and really learn and grow in the in, uh, in the understanding of of the reliability, availability, and maintainability disciplines, as well as you know, you know, come come to a, a additional knowledge in how to apply and implement uh, techniques that are going to improve the bottom line. Uh, of, a, of a system or, or of a company, so to speak. And, you know, one of the things that we often see missing from the symposium are the upper-level leaders, folks that uh, maybe uh, would rely on their engineers to, to bring information. But what, what I'm hoping to, to get out this year is, is, you know, a call for leadership. Uh, for instance, for example, the CEO of my company is going to be attending the symposium this year. He's he's a very busy guy, but he's going to take a, a couple of days out of his schedule and come to the symposium and uh, good, learn good more guy. about reliability. We're doing more uh, product development, uh, more and more product development, and and uh, you know I, I think that you know driving uh, that. Uh, you know, need to install or, or instill, sorry, reliability engineering into projects from the top down is highly important. So we're, you know, really focusing on encouraging uh, leaders, uh, executives, mid middle managers and, and the like, program managers to, to come to the symposium to not only learn about how to design reliability in, but to understand how a small investment up front in a project can can uh, reap huge dividends, you know, across the life cycle of the project. And 
you know, to answer the second part of your question, what can we do to make events like this more attractive? I think it's also, you know, uh, the focus on how leadership can add value to, you know, the programs, how they can set the tone, set the example, how they can focus on on encouraging their program managers, the, the folks that work for them to right. make make it more important. So, you know, that I hope that answers the question. But basically, I'm trying to help people focus from a top down on, on ensuring reliability gets driven into projects. Yeah, it really seems that there's a lot of interest, obviously, in the reliability engineering community itself, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that are that are they work as reliability engineers. They see the value in the technical symposia, but trying to reach those other leaders is a challenge. Trying to get them to see the value of attending these kinds of conferences, uh, and I don't know if you agree with me, Dan, but it seems like that's really you know you've already got the attention of the reliability engineers. What you want is to get. Uh, make a greater impact on these businesses, right? And that means getting to these upper level people. Uh, are we talking about, I don't know, directors of engineering, uh, vice presidents? Are they C-level people? Who would you, who would you really like to have attending? Well, I would, I would say all of those, I, you know, I really, you know, I, I often say that, you know, it, 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 it takes two to tango. And if mm-hmm. you think about the, the design team and, and, and the folks that it takes to pull together the design of a system and, and make that happen, you know, across the life cycle, the systems engineering life cycle, for instance, you know, it starts from the very top. You've got leadership, you know, uh, the directors and the vice presidents and the, even the CEOs delving out the resources and, and assigning program managers and and. You have the program managers bringing in their favorite engineers, and those guys typically think in success space. You know, their hmm. their thought process is that, hey, if I design it, it's going to work. If I'm, you know, if I go out there and, and put my smarts uh, to work, you know, I'm not going to have a, a failure. I'm not going to have any issues. And then, as you talked about the reliability engineers, uh, you know, they're paid to think in failure space, and so they're focusing from the other side of the coin, where they're, you know, identifying failure modes and, and trying to help the design teams um, uh, focus on on uh, uh, designing those failure modes out of the system. But you know, if you if you really empowered the leadership and 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 the program managers and the design guys to, to think in failure space as well. Mm-hmm. You'd have a superposition of that overall concept, and you'd have everybody focusing on identifying failure modes and hazards and ensuring that they were mitigated. And that's just a mindset you've got to instill. I call it discipleship. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to create disciples in our way of thinking. So if I can get the the top leaders, the, the CEOs, the vice presidents, and the directors yeah. to get excited about reliability and about uh, designing reliability into systems, because it does require resources, it does require decisions, it does require the things that leadership are founded on. And if you could get them thinking along those lines. And sometimes that requires a paradigm shift, and that paradigm shift comes from hearing discussions like this. You know, a lot of people don't know what they don't know, right? They don't right. understand, you know, or they haven't been taught to think that way or whatever. There's many different reasons, but you got to get them thinking from a value perspective. We want them to add value to a project, and that value often is added 
through thinking, you know, like I said, in failure space. And so getting them into a symposium like ours and having them sit through some of the conversations and the technical uh, sessions and the panels and all that really helps broaden their thought processes and their understanding of what it takes to get to this point. So, you know, essentially having those higher level leaders like the directors and the vice presidents and even the CEOs in the room uh, can add value in the long run. You know, Dan, I want to come back to this idea of success space and failure space in just a minute. You're the first person I've ever heard talk about it that way. But but before before we leave Rams for a minute, I want to talk a little bit about the people that are that are actually coming to the conference. Who maybe again, these are the people that circle this date on their calendar every year, and they make sure, they make a point of being there. Um, how do we help these people? How can we help them um, implement what they're learning at the conference. I, I suspect that there are people that they come to Rams, they listen to the talks, they, they talk to their colleagues in the hallways, they learn a lot, but they go back to their homes, they go back to their jobs, and they may have some trouble implementing some of these new ideas. And I don't know if you have any suggestions for those folks. How can we, how can we maintain that sense of community uh, and really support these reliability engineers when they go back to their uh, jobs? You know, the, it's a great question, and I think the, the main answer is to encourage folks to look for nuggets. You know, you if you go to a symposium like the Reliability and Maintainability Symposium, there's 23 tutorial uh, sessions. There's 23 to 25 paper sessions with four to five papers each, and, you know, there's four or five panels. So there's four days, literally, of, of, of tech, you know, crammed full of technical information flowing from eight in the morning until six at night. So you multiply all that out. There's a, a literally a, a ton of information being provided. So you've got to, co- you know, focus on the, the nuggets, you know, creating those aha moments, I'll call mm-hmm. them, where mm-hmm. somebody says, you know, aha, uh, that is going to be really useful. And I can't wait to get back and apply that. So you have to go in to that to the to the symposium go into the sessions with a with sort of that thought process that you're going to look and listen for things that 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 you know that you can go and and get value with and and also you know i i try not to bite off more than i can chew i'm you know i'm a fairly (laughs) simple-minded thinker so you know when when i talk about thinking in, in in failure space that's the concept that you know i glommed onto a long time ago to get me motivated to focus on trying to understand how something might fail, you know, in its environment, uh, in its within its operating conditions, outside of its operating conditions, whatever, so that I could add value to the design team. You know, I see a, a reliability engineer as a support person. I see, you know, my role in a reliability engineering position is somebody who's supporting the design team, supporting the, pro- the program manager in you know, driving out those failure modes and making that system operate, you know, perfectly, you know, way beyond its design life or whatever. And so I have to know how to get there. I have to know how to do that. And I've, I've got to be constantly looking for tools and processes and techniques to ferret out those failure modes and those mm-hmm. hazards and learn to mitigate them. So, you know, you, when you're at a symposium like this, I think you have to go in with a mindset that, you know, you're going to learn something, that you're going to be teachable, that you're going to be focused on looking for that aha moment, like I said, and and, yeah. and and coming away with two or three or five or 10 things that you can go back to your design team, that you can go back to your daily job 
and apply that. And there's, it, it's, it's there. I guarantee it. You will, you go in with that mindset, you will walk away with that value. Uh, and you know, you owe it to yourself too, because you're paying a little money to attend the symposium. So right. it's like, it's like going to, you know, it's like taking one of your college classes, Tim, you know, it's, it's essentially, you know, you want your students to learn, you want them to walk away with more knowledge than the one they came in the door with. And, sure. but that's sure. up to them as, as much as, as it is up to you. Right. So they have to make that decision that they're going to come away with something and use it, if that makes sense. I, I think that makes perfect sense. It really makes a lot of sense. I, I just wonder how many of, of the conference attendees come with that kind of mindset where they have a specific problem or issues that they're looking for help with, as opposed to uh, just sort of a, a passive receiver of information. Well, and I could tell you real quick to jump in there, you know, I will be encouraging the attendees in my opening remarks on Monday morning at the symposium, just that. So guys, you know, I hope you will uh, make it your goal this week to focus on, on, on generating that aha moment where you can, you can say, I, you know, I had never thought of that, had never considered that, I had never, you know, wanted to focus on that before, but now I'm going to, and I'm going to go back and generate value because that's what, in my mind, justifies taking a week off work and, and doing something like this. It's not, it's not just a, it's not just beautiful Tucson, Arizona. It's not just the <laughs> fact that it's in a, a good time for, you know, of the year because it's, you know, great weather or whatever. It's not because we're at an awesome uh, resort with uh, beautiful golf courses and the like, you know, but uh, I mean, that's all part of it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, essentially it's, uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's about, you know, putting yourself in the mindset that you're going to go there and you're going to get something from it and and nobody's going to stop you. And to come back to my earlier question, Dan, this is a uh, part of the, the it's this kind of value that's going to uh, really uh, encourage senior level people that maybe they should start thinking about coming to conferences like this as well. You know, and I, I, I'd like to add that one of the things that I find myself doing all the time as you probably might be able to tell, is is being in sort of what I call sales mode. You know, a lot of times I have to, you know, especially on the technical side, you know, I feel like people's skills are highly important. I think the, the most important skills that I have are the ability to relate and the ability to, to mm -hmm. you know, to convince the person that I'm with and I'm talking to that, you know, I can – I can add value and I can serve them in some way, some capacity. And one of the things that I've always done as I've moved on to a project is I've had to sort of, like I said earlier, disciple that program manager, you know, convince them that it's the smartest thing he or she's ever done uh, to invest in the reliability of their system. And once I get to that point, you know, uh, the, the, the words that you love to hear are, where have you been all my life? So we want those <laughs> leaders, we want those uh, the, those high-level guys, those high-level ladies to, you know, to say, where have you been all my life? How come I hadn't thought of this before? You know, why, why wasn't I focusing on this all the time? I could have saved the company a lot of money, you know, moving forward. There so go. we got to convince them of that. I agree. I agree. So, Dan, I want to come back to something you said earlier. You were talking about success space and failure space. Design people are taught to think in success space. Quality people are taught to think in failure space. I don't think I've heard that before. Can you elaborate a little bit more about that? I, I think this is pretty interesting. Yeah. And again, success space is, is more by uh, default, I think. I think, you know, nobody goes into a project or, or, or any sort of task, I don't think, 
thinking, you know what, I'm going to fail. You know what, I'm not going to be successful. You know, I think people, you know, for the most part are in, in, in inherently taught and programmed to think, you know, I'm going to get this task done. I'm going to get it done by a certain time and I'm going to do it. And so it, it, it you know, it, it, it performs correctly or whatever. And so they're not necessarily thinking about what could go wrong, how, you know, how it could fail, all that. Now, that's a general statement. I get that a lot of people do think uh, differently in that regard, but that's been my experience. Most of the design guys that, that sit on a, on a project are, are designing their widget, they're designing their subsystem or their system, and they're not really considering how uh, their system, subsystem widget can fail. And, and right. enter the reliability engineer who uh, a lot of times has a, a lot of very broad and general experience with mechanical systems, electrical systems, uh, software systems, whatever. And that person is actually, you know, you know, I'm going to do an FMEA. I'm going to do a, a, a discrete event simulation. I'm going to do some sort of analysis. You know, mm-hmm. reliability engineers are often uh, accused of being mathematician. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, Ouch. we're we're Whatever. sort of pigeonholed onto the math side because everybody thinks that we that we enjoy doing math, and mo- most of us do. Don't get me wrong, but anyway, you know, the bottom line is is we're expected sort of off on the side to go to 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 to, to juxtapo- juxtapose that. Uh, that failure thinking that that hey let's let's identify those failure modes and let's come up with mitigation techniques uh, and uh, let's mitigate as many of those as we can. Now uh, again, I I believe very strongly that if I as the one reliability guy on a project with say 10, 12, 15, 20 design guys were to go in and and, and superimpose the way I thought on the way they think that superposition would generate uh, a, a much higher order of success right off the get-go because essentially, you know, I've seen it. I've seen metrics many times. You know, it, it costs 40, 50 times more to design to, to fix an issue once a product's been fielded than it does right. to, to, to fix it up front in the, in, in the, in the early, early part of the design process. And essentially, if I superimpose that failure space thinking uh, onto the, the success space that, that my design counterparts are, are continuously working and thinking in, uh-huh. if I get them thinking about failures and how it could fail, then my job – uh, I essentially work myself out of a job, which is good because I need to move on to the next project anyway because there's usually a lot less of me than there are them, if you know what I mean. So yeah. my job is to sort of teach them to think the way I think and, and t- make them you know, the disciples of, of the overall thought process and, and the processes that I use. And, and then, you know, you get, you know, once you've, once you've achieved that, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a repeatable process in from a quality perspective that certainly uh is what mr deming was looking for right absolutely you know dan i i this is really exciting stuff i i wonder if there's if, if you've worked with organizations over the years that have done a better job here and is there anything we can look we can learn from them that we can apply in other businesses you know it seems like quality Quality and reliability engineers are often seen as the bad guys because they do operate in failure space. Again, are there organizations out there that do this better than others that we can learn from and maybe apply to other kinds of businesses? 
it certainly, there certainly are, uh, Tim. You know, I'll brag a little bit on a previous company employer of mine. You know, one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my short career is uh, what happened within Dow Chemical Corporation. Now, it truly was a situation where I, I, I worked myself out of a job, but, um, you know, I saw them uh, apply a lot of these techniques, a lot of the thought processes that we were that we were bringing to the table uh, in a very mm-hmm. methodical way. And I saw a, a huge uh, improvement in performance over time. Obviously, I can't share a whole lot about what happened there. But, uh, you know, the, the, the main thing is that there was a willingness uh, from the top down. I'll never forget the boss that I had, a uh, uh, high-level uh, gentleman uh, that was based in Germany, senior vice president of the company. And uh, he was one of those people that, that caught fire. You know, he, he believed in what I was saying. He believed what I was, what, was uh, trying to convince him of. And he caught fire and he started pushing it from his level and he is the absolute success story that I uh, that I will tout until the the day I retire because once that high level leadership started pounding the table and demanding that folks do this you know it became uh, it became a, a process that folks didn't complain about they just did it you know they just you know they focused on applying the resources up front in 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 working you know one of the things that dow did was was really relied heavily on on upfront modeling analysis and simulation and the design process and it really delivered a ton of value and in improvement in some of the projects that we were working on and you know it's it's just fun to see when somebody gets it and when somebody, you know, sees the same value that you do and then implements it and, 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 and you see improvement and you see results, you know, and that's something that I'll always cherish. And, you know, I, I grew up learning this, you know, the reason I got hired at Dow is because Dow wanted a, an aerospace engineer with NASA experience to uh, <laughs> implement reliability engineering in their facility because they were tired of the definition of insanity, you know, trying the same thing yep. over and over and expecting a different result. So, and I'm not saying that it was me. I'm not saying I was the one that changed the whole company. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that with the team that I was working with and the team that uh, they assembled, we we were able to generate uh, improvement and success based on, you know, very simple and very tried and true concepts that the aerospace community has been working on for years and, and stuff that I learned as, as a NASA engineer. So I think it's it's very it's very interesting that, that we're talking about Dow Chemical here deciding to reach out to the aerospace industry to hire someone like you to help them with um, their reliability program. Well, and the favorite story I tell real quick is that, you know, and this is classic, the classic nature of reliability engineering. You know, what is the difference between a Dow chemical and, and say, a NASA system like the space shuttle? Well, if you really sit down and think about it, you know, the space shuttle has uh, mechanical systems and electrical systems and structures and control systems and the like, uh, and it's... uh, uh, it, it's it's leaving Earth at Mach 17 or leaving Earth's orbit at Mach 17 and expelling nasty gases out the back. 
uh, and and a, a chemical plant in itself is is control systems and structures and electrical systems and you know mechanical systems and fluid you know systems and the like. And, and the big difference is you don't want it to leave leaves Earth's orbit. You want it you want it to stay firmly planted to the ground, and you want it to keep all those nasty gases contained. So you know it's just basically the the mission that, that's different, but it's all the you know the, all the systems are the same, and you just have you know that's why being able to tailor and understand uh, tailoring and in, in, in processes and in, in what we do as an engineer is so important. So you know being the only aerospace engineer in a company full of fifty thousand dollars. 50,000 chemical engineers is no big deal just as long as you both you all have the same uh, you all have the same mission in mind so to speak well it's pretty uh, it sounds pretty uh, advanced and evolved on the part of Dow Chemical to be able to uh, acknowledge that Dan if let me just close with this if if we've got reliable engineers operating in fit failure space and designers operating in success space is this one of these uh, cats and dogs kind of thing how do we help these people work together so that they can be more effective. Well, that's probably the most important question uh, that that we can answer because you know, as anybody will tell you that you know, uh, the, the challenge uh, in in all activities is, is trying to get us humans to to work together. And uh, everybody has different opinions and mindsets, and pride becomes a, a big challenge and all that. And you know, I, I think it starts with leadership. You know, leadership, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, it's only important to me, is best employed from a, you know, sort of a servant perspective. You know, you've, you've got to be the first person in, the last person out, and you can't leave anybody behind. And you've got to show folks that you'd be willing to do everything and anything and, and that you're not going to ask them to do, you know, something that you yourself haven't already done. And, and, you know, the, the leadership, the program management, you know, driving reliability in the systems through participating in failure reviews and, you know, in, in really uh, focusing on risk mitigation and, and really, you know, being a part uh, of everybody's, you know, thought processes in that regard is, is the first thing. And then also encouraging folks to use their people skills. You know, it sounds kind of corny, but, you know, I know a lot of people, I know people in this room today that would agree with you that you know, if they really sat and thought about it, that what has really helped them get ahead in life is their ability to relate, their ability to, to, to serve others and not to draw from others, you know, their ability to, 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 give, to give to folks as opposed to take. And, you know, so uh, hopefully it doesn't sound too corny, but my, my, my thought process there absolutely works and it works all the time. And it's not, any, you know, it's, it's an ecclesiastical thing. There's nothing new under the sun here. You know, right, essentially right. what you're focusing on is serving others and, and supporting the team as opposed to trying to, you know, uh, make a name for yourself, so to speak. And if you do that, if you, if you implement that, and I know it sounds general, but it works every time. It really does. And, and, well, and it's, it's, it's about relating. You know, it's just about relating. We're all working for the same team, or we're supposed to be, and, uh, and that's what people should keep in mind, right? Right. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Hey, it's my absolute pleasure, and I truly appreciate you guys uh, allowing me to spend uh, some, some time with you today. I'm, I'm really honored and blessed to have done it. That was Dan Deans. Vice President of Corporate Development at Millennium Engineering and Integration and Chairman of the upcoming Rams Conference in January 2016 in Tucson, Arizona. For more information about Millennium Engineering and Integration, 
visit their website at www.meicompany.com. And to learn more about the Rams Conference, go to rams.org. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks for joining us.